Recording in progress. I like that. There it is. All right. We activated our Wonder Twin powers and we're recording. <laughs> That's great. Well, I'm glad we could make this happen. I know that things have been wild and crazy, and I think they probably will be for the foreseeable future. <laughs> the world is getting deeper and vaster and more beautifully complex every moment. And we have a lot to do with that. Absolutely, absolutely. So we talked, what, three weeks ago or a month ago, something like that? Second, the second of October is exactly 25 days ago. My brain can do math. Wow, that's That's good. not the case before. I could not do math like that before. I've been practicing. <laughs> that's 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 really interesting yeah you you've shared some of your 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 neurological journey with me you know the whole neural pathway thing and neuroplasticity that that just doesn't go away it gets even more important as you get older to really push yourself into different territory different ways of thinking different activities hobbies projects it's very helpful to uh, to really keep the the um, the neurology very malleable as you as you age. Languaging is so important to me in that respect um, because before a lot of um, intensive events happened in my life, I knew that um, languages like like I I have studied French and I've studied Welsh and and I've studied other languages. I knew that that was a big leverage point for neuroplasticity, but I did not really understand earlier in my life how much more there is to language and languaging, not just, you know, this particular language that is not English and this other particular language that is not English that I grew up with. Um, but the way we speak, the, the, the meanings we ascribe to words as we speak, um, there's so much there and we never really know what one another is saying unless we check our languaging. So that that's been a, a dense, rich source of nutrients for me. Yeah. And even when we check our languaging, we can only go with a degree of faith that we're communicating, you know, and that gets weirder and weirder across distance and across time. There's a wonderful Russian philosopher named Mikhail Bakhtin who developed something called the uh, theory of the dialogic imagination. And I it, haven't heard of this. I'd love to know more about that. Yeah, I used to write about this guy in when I was in graduate school, and I was really fascinated by his work. In fact, I, I mentioned him, 
I think in one of my recent books somewhere, I, I, he's, he at least gets a passing reference or in a video or something that I made. But the, the gist is that we are imagining the world together through language, essentially. And, and when we speak, we are basically in dialogue in creating the moment of the enunciation together, <laughs> the enunciation and the uh, reception of the enunciation. And this can happen also with, with with somebody who's long gone, like a writer that you're reading who passed, you know, two centuries ago or, you know, uh, even longer. Of course, you're actually creating a world between the two of you in that connection of language. So the nexus of language is all important in his theory for how the world comes into being. And it's very similar even to some of my theories having to do with regenetics and how the world was spoken into being and how we can use language to rewrite ourselves and our experience of the world but at, a, at an energetic level, not just at a conceptual level. One of the things that was really powerful for me before I knew some more about your regenetics um, resourcing um uh, I wonder if I can describe this. I've got to just, I've got to describe it from the point of view of me with much more severe neurological damage. So when I go into those neural structures and try to verbalize from them, it's very different trying to verbalize things from those places. Um, but one of the things for me that, that I enthusiastically shared with others um, near that beginning of, of of recognizing that you were doing something called regenetics and there was something very interesting and activating about it and I was feeling drawn to it and I wanted to understand like what is this exactly um the sense of singing together the sense of making meaningful sounds together connected to imagery that that is our intentionality together. So, so I talk about collaborative fluency a lot and, um, you know, how, how we, we hold, uh, an intention of how we're moving forward with one another, not only by ourselves, but, but building, um, organic living structures of, of, of different living beings contributing to outcomes that, that are not accomplished in any way otherwise. And, um, one of the things that was coming to me a lot that I was just searching and searching for a way to verbalize, searching and searching for a way to talk to more people about um, learning, learning about the potentiation process that you facilitate and that you teach um, in envisioning with my body in the body of the network there being locations where this is going on and people simply learn it as part of their as part of their lives um and then sing together in these ways that is so healing to our bodies and and creates the physical reality of our bodies in these meaningful ways and and part of that is also that it's not just about specific words it's about syllabic structures. It's about it's about noise. It's about it's about the sounds that are made not just by what we think of a lot of the time as human languaging, but um, I don't I don't really know what words to use about it. Like the the syllables that you teach for for regenetics um, is part of that. But then another thing that I think of is you you had a um, 
you had a podcast where, and I can't remember their names, but you shared what you said was, I think you were talking with Lee and you shared um, this music that was your, it was like one of your favorite albums of all time. And um, it was, um, it was two, two dudes in South America with a whole bunch of tracks with really great guitar music. And you might know what I'm talking about, or, or there might be other yeah. things. Mm-hmm. But they, um, they, they, uh, they're part of the music was making joyful noises that weren't necessarily words. And that's where all of that connects for me. It's, it's what has connected when I have, when I've read parts of Callie, the destroyer too, about the nonverbal parts of making sacred sounds that heal the body. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That the, you're talking about a, um, a, an impromptu album that came together years and years ago between Gilberto Gil and Georgie Benjol, uh, two, two Brazilian artists, and they got together and played off of each other in this almost symbiotic fashion one night when they probably had had too many drinks or just maybe just, just the right number of drinks. And they did an album that's considered to be one of the classics of all of Brazilian popular music. And really, it's one of the best uh, improv albums that, that's ever been made, in my opinion. So, And they were just riffing and going off and making sounds that came to them. And they were going back and forth. So, yeah, I, li- I like to talk about that album sometimes. And there are some similar albums. There's also this notion that you get um, from the work of Ken Carey. Do you know the author Ken Carey? He wrote the uh, the Starseed um, the Starseed books. I, it sounds familiar to me, but I don't remember very much. So this is a passage from Starseed: The Third Millennium that's totally relevant to where you were just going with your idea about sounds and songs and singing together. He writes that when you love fully without reservation, you feel, sense, and move within love's rhythmic current. The definition songs that pulse through your soul are free to call out the excellence of your surroundings. As you allow love to flow out from within you, you will remember things you had forgotten about these physical realms. You will remember that everything has a soul song that is at once its definition and its expression. You will recognize all that lives in this blessed biosphere as objectifications of your own melodies. And consciously, then, you will sing the songs of distinction, the songs that call forth all that appears in this planetary environment. A sculptor can always use hammer and chisel, but if she can sing the right songs, the songs that speak the true names, the songs that go to the very heart of the matter with which she works, she can inspire that matter to participate intelligently in its own development and recreation. And eventually, he says, when you perceive conceptions of yet unmanifest physical possibilities, you will be able to guide the molecular flow of appropriate substance into those designs. Awakened, you know your human circuitry for what it is, a system of empathy, representation, and creation designed to regulate and evoke biology. That is very groovy. Wow. So um, in regenetics, eventually, when we the point where we were doing some supplementary activations, we in honor of this this work, we called them songs of distinction. I, I I'm I'm remembering 
fleeting references from from your work. And I think I remember coming across Ken Carey's name in your work too. I need to get more familiar with those writings. That sounds really wonderful. Well, it's so keyed into um, a lot of the things we've been talking about in our conversations this idea that, you know, we are actually creating the world with which we are interacting, that we're calling forth something from inside ourselves. I think we do this unconsciously as well. Um, you know, he's talking about the conscious way of doing this, really. But I think it's sort of a default ability that we have that just it's the way the world gets constructed and we can do it unconsciously. And that has consequences, or we can learn to be more conscious about it. And that also has consequences. Well, if we do it unconsciously, we we are, we are, I mean, at least in this day and age, we are often allowing it to be harnessed and used without our awareness. Um, when we talked about the world cult and you, um, the last time that we chatted, um, I think I said I was on chapter four. I wasn't on chapter four. I was on chapter six, <laughs> okay. but I finished it. I finished it now. Um, and there, there are chapters in there where you talk about, and I think you mentioned this last time too, where um, there are influences in the world that that can make terrible things come about by harnessing our powers of world creation. Um, with or without our knowledge. And we may think that we're doing something really great, but if we're not fully aware of what we're interacting with and, and how we use our powers intentionally, um, that can go really bad places. Absolutely. Absolutely. I did a meme recently and it was stop, stop. Um, what was the meme? Let me, let me pull up the exact text because it was exactly on this subject. Um just bear with me for just half a second oh yeah the doomsday meme it's um stop helping doomsday cults bring about doomsday using your energy <laughs> and many people don't even know how to like that's not even a concept they've ever encountered so sometimes it takes a, a long process to understand how that could even be occurring yeah. Um, but absolutely. Once you realize it, like the power that you have in the world to take responsibility for the power you have in the world. When when I was looking at some notes before we came to chat here, and um a big part of what has been moving to me about the world cult and you is about how you bring the focus to building one's personal energy. Um, I think you said you said supercharging one's personal power, I think. Um, and you, you have a lot of reference points. You have a lot of recommendations in terms of how someone can do that. And if somebody's never encountered that before for taking responsibility for themselves, for their own um, functions, for their own influence on the world through the, the it's a it's a it's a form of dominant behavior that can be totally unconscious the way we participate in the world and everything that you suggested there to my memory is really powerful in terms of taking responsibility for that and, and, and taking a sovereign approach to showing up with one's full self 
so that one doesn't let pieces of oneself be repurposed for other things. I think about um, there, there's software that you could put on computers that that um, academic organizations would use your computer's functions to run something, 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 and we don't really know what they were doing, but but um, that used to be a thing when I was a kid, like, oh, it will, you can use your computer's computing power for this thing that you don't totally understand. It's like that. It's like, do we want our pieces repurposed by others in ways we don't understand? Or do we want to understand how our own sacred bodies work? Right, right. Wow, there's a lot in what you just said. I was thinking about tying tying in the this text the world called anew to the language piece also going back to this idea that i don't think there was language to talk about a lot of these things i had to kind of create some of this language i borrowed here and there of course but i ended up creating language i you're not the only person who's, who's come forward and said that this book is like creating the discussion you know by giving the language you said something along those lines and then other people have said that you know i'm finally able to think and talk about this and before i kind of was aware of some of these dynamics but it was almost nebulous like until it was given language it didn't exist this is back to Ken Carey. This is back to Mikhail Bakhtin and the idea that we are languaging the world into existence. And so, so I, if I've done nothing, nothing else but give people language to talk about these ideas, even if they disagree with mine, then I think I've done a service. I agree. Um, hugely, hugely, I agree. Um, so, so in the intuitive network, we started out so severely disabled, we could not even reach and talk to one another. And we didn't understand that that could be possible. But all of the people who were, who were past that particular threshold of severe disablement, we were being prevented from talking to one another. So we had to build intuitive infrastructure to, to, to facilitate us being in contact with one another. And we started recognizing we have to invent languages for all this stuff. No one is talking about any of this stuff. But one of the big problems is, even in that context, as amazing as that progress is, we have to be able to find more others willing to do the best they can to invent a language that actually addresses those intersections, or at least starts to address those intersections. And people aren't doing that most places. And the places that people think that they're doing it, like like media platforms that are maybe talking about sex trafficking or maybe talking about intersectional violence, generally they're monetizing the conversation a lot more than they're than they're having a collaborative dialogue. And you are encouraging a tremendous amount of dialogue around the the writing that you're doing and so like me encountering your work and and as we've been able to discuss it in groups we have to have another uh, relational counterpoint where where yours is a bit different from ours but ours is still evolving and yours is still evolving and oh we learn things when we connect that and then more others can come into the conversation and they have a different set of touch points that come into relationship with all of this and then new languages emerge. That's what we need for relational neurological repair. That's mm. amazing magic. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As you're as you were talking, I was thinking about how that works, like we could give it some scientific uh, explanations. But in one very key way, I think it the the neurological repair via language installations, you know, if you want to put it that way, is it allows people to feel that community that they've been missing and craving in a way that is potentially non-cultish, where they're simply communicating clearly with one another. Now, of course, that could be co-opted for cult situations uh, naturally, but at least it gives you the option to have relatively clear communication with people. And you can decide if you want to get into a, a cultish energy exchange with with uh, that situation. And to 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 make that discernment you really have to be putting a lot of energy and intention into the powers of your own self so that you know yourself well and you know what you want and who you are in the world. And that gives you the basis for interacting with others um, and be able to make discernments about whether something or someone is, is seeking to take advantage of you. Otherwise, you can't really tell. And that's why most communities out there don't actually support the individual developing their own powers of discernment, their own powerful functions. Mostly the community will, will the communities that we've encountered, mostly they will support it up to a point, but they will require certain kinds of conformance in order to continue supporting people in that way. And it creates this, um, this veil and the most severely affected people, the people who cannot conform to those requirements are hidden from the rest of the community. So the rest of the community can feel very successful about what it's doing. But what we've gone around doing, what I've gone around doing for a lot of years is catching the people who are squeezed out of communities or fall out of communities because they can be preyed upon without anybody noticing because they're invisible, because nobody knows how to speak their language. And in the intuitive network, like one of the reasons I love that list at the end of the world cult and you is it's a really nice, simple, direct, um, it's sort of, it's got simple touch points, but each of them is deepened. So you like, you explain a lot about each of those points. Um, these are things that we have learned, wow, the hard way, um, a lot of them, that we have to make sure that individuals are supported in flourishing in, or else individuals don't even learn how to be individuals, and they will just be co-opted by whatever community or whatever trafficking operative happens to be pleasant and nice to them at the time. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen that firsthand a lot. Mm. Yeah, the the idea of becoming an individual or or individuating is is a complex one. And as I've as I've gone down this shamanic path and this this path of of writing books about some of these ideas, I really believe that most of what we're given by the by the psychological understanding of that is useless. It's completely useless. There might be some frameworks in it, but it doesn't really give you any way of achieving it because it doesn't address the idea that what keeps you from being an individual is that your power is being drained 
And your power is your consciousness and your ability to be sovereign. So unless you can restore your power, your consciousness, your mojo, your kundalini, your chi, your prana, your orgone, whatever you want to call it, you can't really individuate. Yeah, and it seems like most of the sources out there that talk about individuation, it, they're, they're talking about how to be a, a, a controllable individual. They're not talking about how to be a sovereign individual. Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so you get these frameworks that are not really actionable in any pragmatic way. And you get a kind of definition that is somewhat skewed of what it means to be an individual. It's basically an individual within society as opposed to just being an individual. You know, so there's this whole acculturation, acculturation going on all the time to make people behave within acceptable norms. And I'm not saying that we should all go out there and become, you know, savages and and murderers and i don't know whatever you want to you know whatever you cannibals i don't know i'm not saying that really i'm simply saying that um the our ability to express ourselves is very corralled even in this society you, you know it looks as if oh you could be an artist or a singer or whatever and you could do almost anything these days but that's not really true start talking about some of the things that happen between 2020 and 2022 and see how far that gets you on social media so we are definitely being censored and corralled so there's no real push towards being individuals there's essentially a a push towards being a slightly more cre seemingly creative automaton. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I'm going to attempt to verbalize something. Let's see how it goes. Um, I love I love that we're talking about verbal and relational. We're, we're, we're talking a lot more these days about how every form of trauma, because trauma is physical damage to the language parts of the brain and the relational parts of the brain. Anybody who's experienced trauma needs verbal and relational neurological repair, whether it's very, very mild need for it or a very, very extreme need for it. So I, I love, I love, I love these conversations. Can I ask you a question or, or ask for your, your input? I'll, on I'll, I'll come back. I'll come back to what I was thinking. Go ahead and ask me right now. That's Place fine. Directly to what you're thinking. So when you say physical trauma, that can also be induced emotionally, right? But that it oh, causes yes. physical damage. That's what yes. people don't understand. They're like, oh, it was just an emotional thing. But but that's not really how the body receives an emotional insult. There isn't a just an emotional thing. There you go. That's what I wanted to make sure. People <laughs> there's a there's a brocade. There's a there's a weaving. There's a pat. There's a set of patterns of the physical neural structures and they can be wiped out like a like a like a forest fire burns through the forest and all you're left with is the roots under the soil if you're lucky enough to have the roots under the soil mm -hmm. um and we have to grow those neural structures back and man it's hard if you're cut off from resources cut off from relationships if nobody understands your language um yes. it, it's real wild um, so yeah, did you have more that you wanted to no, say that about was the only was thing that? I wanted to be sure that people listening got that it wasn't just that trauma wasn't just a physical thing that that tr this physical damage that is associated with trauma can be induced non-physically. People on this planet, living beings on this planet are 
experiencing trauma. And that's and the, somebody, part of the cult. That's part of the whole cult apparatus that is inducing trauma as a way of downgrading people's ability to think and process and understand what's happening to them. And saying, but that's not really trauma you're experiencing. You're just too sensitive. You're taking it too hard. You haven't done enough of your own self-work. You're not really being harmed is a thing that that certain institutions like to say, because then they can normalize levels of trauma that decrease neurological function, that decrease cognitive clarity, decrease the ability to make good decisions for oneself, for one's family. Because the more that trauma is normalized, the harder it is for you to tell what's going on and what you should do about it. Yes. Yes. Um, so what I was going to say before is um, that so talking about individuation, talking about individuals um, and controllable individuals like the conversation that we're having, a lot of the things that you said a, a minute or two ago, um, we're talking about uh, the, the landscape being one where um, controllable individuals are prioritized. And part of what that means is that they are individuals who are responsive to conflict seeding from the standpoint of those who are seeding conflict. So if you can be brought into conflict with others by a, by a hidden influence, then you are a desirable member of society because they can steer you how they want to steer you. They, they can make great economic flows for themselves by steering people this way or steering people that way. Um, and the reason that it's so important for me to mention this is because there's also a lot in your book about um, where perhaps conflict is unnecessary, where maybe maybe we don't need to be in conflict about having very different experiences. like why why would why would we need to fight about it if we're actually, amazing multidimensional beings having amazing multidimensional experiences that one another cannot even necessarily fathom or or ever prove uh, that is that is an incredibly important point that's the that is a a, a massive thread in in my book uh, and my subsequent work that I've been doing um, as well, this idea that since we're having you know, radically different experiences of reality, the idea of right and wrong and truth and good and evil, all, the, all of these related concepts have to be shelved in, in favor of a, a very plastic, elastic, malleable way of understanding each other uh, to allow for people in a dialogic environment to be having different imagined experiences of reality where real things seem to be happening to them like getting sick from a pathogen for example maybe that's happening to some people and to other people those things don't even exist the, the stories i mean oh man this has been so amazing for me to to realize more and more of this like the stories that get embedded in our bodies are so intricate and infinitesimal. There are so many of them and we don't know how they're changing reality at those levels. 
Right, right. We're per- <laughs> no idea. You know, science is perfectly willing to talk about some kind of quantum reality with quantum entanglement and butterfly effects and chaos theory and complex adaptive systems and all of this stuff. And yet somehow we still live in a material reality, according to science. It's a joke. It's completely a joke (laughs) to me. They can't even identify the most basic particles and they just get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. There's a a satire in the world cult and you and of an it's an article that i wrote years ago about this phenomenon where science just keeps chasing matter down into the void you know and it just never ever ends because there's no real fundamental particle when everything is just consciousness it, it feels to me like chasing chasing the ideal marketing message the the ideal propagandization um that when i was reading that part of the book i was i I was like what what does this feel like to me this feels like this feels like if i'm if i am the the sort of fictional person writing this particular missive what i'm really trying to do is i'm 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 engaged in an act of persuasion i want i want people to listen to me and i want them to do what i tell them Right. And I want to control their thought process and the way, you know, they still go about manifesting or not manifesting, depending on their intention. Right. If you think you're in a material world, this is the thing. If you think that you're if you are if you buy into this idea that you live in a material reality, then you don't really have power in that environment. You, it, It's like it's down. Or go ahead. I, I interrupted Just to you. say that the in that scenario, the environment has the power. It's the it's the rigid, implacable situation that you find yourself in and subject to, as opposed to something that you're actually generating or that we are generating. Right. Uh, right. We we were taught. We were we 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 talked last time also about matter moving more slowly changing more slowly in waking life than it does in in a in 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 in, um sleeping dreaming but even reality in waking life um the dream traveling we're doing in our waking lives we've had that slowed down massively by all the stories about how implacable it is about how rigid those structures are when they need not necessarily be. Absolutely. Absolutely. In the Castanadan shamanism, there's this idea that the, you have an assemblage point, which is a kind of way of focalizing your creative ability, how you kind of manifest your energy in it. When the assemblage point moves, it changes your perception of reality. And in a de facto way, it changes the reality just by changing, you know, the perception. But what has happened in the modern era is the the collective assemblage point has moved to what is called the place of reason. And it's essentially gotten stuck there. And it's extremely hard to move it. And the place of reason is what you're describing, basically, this place where everything seems to be in a priori given situation that can't be changed. It is what it is. And there are immutable laws that you have to deal with. The funny thing is all of that is simply 
a point of perception. There are other points of perception that contradict that very notion or those very notions. So um, in in the way that that the intuitive network has evolved, um, one of the things that 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 was happening early on that we just we had to come to terms with was that we had been so cut off from other structures, from other influences, well, influences we wanted to be in contact with anyway, other resourcing, other understanding, scientific literature, languaging. So we had to rebuild our neural structures on our own without being able to check whether they matched others' experiences of those things. And so we, it, it, it there, there was, it, there's sort of like a really pure evolution of it from a certain standpoint, although it's really messed with in all of these other ways. And the, the, there's a plane going overhead and it's changing my thought process. That's very interesting. <laughs> um, the, the way that we have had to do that has given us a standpoint from which to 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 differentiate from what we are told that's been really helpful but also really confusing and often upsetting because we didn't realize reality worked that way that 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 we could be telling stories amongst ourselves that would have so much power even if they radically differed from what we were being told by other sources mm. wow I think I think you just are touching on what freaks people out about this model that I'm proposing. It's that there's just no touchstone. There's there's nothing there's nothing that constitutes a norm that we can all agree on. Oh, unless we establish it in relationship with one another. Right. That's what I'm getting at. That's the only even even the even the the touchstones are dialogic imaginings brought about through linguistic interaction yeah and they they can always be changing they 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 can always be mutable i have so so because of all of that that i just described um one of the things is that i have sort of a challenging relationship with the word reason with the word reasoning um, because it is generally connected to the the mechanical world kinds of reasoning that we've been taught. And yet I and others have this experience of reasoning ourselves to a position that is diametrically opposed with other people who consider themselves reasonable, reasoning people. <laughs> yes, yes. Mm hmm. It's I just made a note. I'm a little, you know, my little uh, note taking uh, software on my computer, controllable individuals who think they're not. Right. Ooh. So all of these people who are being super reasonable and are are looking at things, whether they're truthers or scientists or whatever they might be who think that they are standing in a place of truth and accuracy, logic, objectivity, they're living in a fantasy world, Neo. 
It's very sad. It's it's very it's difficult to process emotionally. It's painful for the body that that's happening. We we've been talking recently about um how professionals um in professional networks have generally been funded and facilitated by uh, financial and economic interests that are aligned with colonial imperialist trafficking interests. And so what professionals are generally taught is you have now been provided with the most powerful set of tool sets and you know what you're doing and you can be really proud of yourself and you're going to be able to make a lot of money and you just got to make sure to keep your keep your licenses active, keep your accreditations where, you know, at the level that they're supposed to be. And you're going to be someone who is respected and you have made it in life. You, you've succeeded. And, and this is, this is where you have strived to be your whole life. And they've been mistrained. They've been miseducated so that when they go into the world to help people, they'll be able to help the people who are sort of most accessible to them that they can help in certain ways. And then there's a, a threshold of severity and trauma beneath which they have absolutely no idea what to do. And when they're confronted with that, what they're being confronted with is that they've been lied to, is that their professional training has erased the bottom half of the colonial imperialist balance sheet, the bottom half of the capitalist balance sheet. We're doing really great up here. We're just going to ignore all of these bleeding broken bodies that our success is built on. And so, there, I mean, one of the first touch points for us was the suicide rate of, of medical professionals. Uh, um, and like, why, why are doctors committing suicide? Well, uh, here's a really good reason. They've been trained in ways that actually cause them to ignore and have to protect themselves from the most harmed people, the people who need the most. These are people who went into their profession to help others. Yes. And yet what they've been trained in causes them to dissociate. Oh, goosebumps, dissociate from the people who most need their help where they could be making the most powerful difference. That's hard. That's so hard. My prayers and love for those people dealing with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have some personal experience when I first got really sick that set me off on my regenetics journey of self-healing. I, I, you know, I was having all kinds of bizarre physical symptoms. I mean, really bizarre, like allergies and autoimmune types of symptoms and um, twitches and spasms and just all kinds of craziness. And of course, uh, I went to just a doctor in you know my local uh, uh, health clinic, and I was told I was depressed and prescribed antidepressants. You know that was that was the solution, and and uh, wow, that was that was such an amazing wake up call to the inadequacies of the of the medical system. And then as time went by, I began seeing similar inadequacies across all professional disciplines i mean to even use the word discipline is pretty funny because you're being disciplined in your thinking when you go into any of those right um and so I, I think this is one of the reasons i never i never really came out the the 
the other side of graduate school and had to drop out. Yes, I was really sick, but but I couldn't stand the thought policing that went on at that level. And this was decades ago before it got really bad. I mean, it's really, really bad now. And it was already pretty bad then. And I just I realized I can't if I do this and I and I enter this profession and professions, another funny thing, it's almost like confessing something to profess like, you know, I'm a bad person or, you know, I'm I'm not an individual, whatever. I don't know what you're professing, but um, I, I realized that my mind would never be my own again and my creativity would never be my own again. And it does seem that that there are people who feel a lot of thriving in those structures if it happens to be aligned well enough for them. But do they really want to silo themselves in environments that would wipe out their ability to broaden beyond that? That that's so unfortunate to me. And there there are certainly professionals. There are some wonderful, wonderful professionals out there, but they are struggling with their professional networks. They're not sure if they can maintain their livelihood. They're not sure. They're not sure if they even want to maintain their licensing. Like there are all of these things going on for professional people where they're having to make very hard decisions about who they want to be in the world and what it's going to take for them to show up as themselves. Yep. That's exactly where all of this is gone. And I just picked up on it early on when I, I saw, you know, to be what it really meant to be an, an academic in the humanities was to essentially become inhuman in many ways. It was, it, it, it was exactly, it was to drop any kind of um, humanism, any kind of, uh, any of, of the older, of the older ideas about our identity as people, as creators, you know, uh, things that we had inherited from, you know, like the 1800s and romanticism and that sort of thing, all of that was being eviscerated. And the study of literature, for example, was basically turning into a pseudoscience uh, based in kind of sociology and psychology. It had no longer anything to do with creativity, uh, the creative process, the hero's journey, none of it. All of that was bunk. And you had to subscribe to these soulless ideas to actually find a place in the academy. Yeah. And this and was it, 25 years ago, you know, I mean, it's, it, that's a quarter how, of how, 25 it, years ago, you know, 25 years ago, that, it was already happening. And, and, you know, I remember having uh, conversations with other people who were working on their PhDs and their dissertations and, uh, you know, especially, I'm, I have to say, especially the men, we, we were really, uh, we were really, um, stuck between a rock and a hard place in a lot of ways, because you had to almost become like a, like a like a feminist and communist to succeed in academe and and those things by some pretty toxic definitions i mean there are people who use those words in a very different way than the establishment has used them yeah i'm i'm saying that um but the, regardless, regardless whatever spectrum you are on on um you know with respect to those terms they are really narrow boxes for thinking and behaving and writing and publishing. 
And so they're basically giving you an identity that you have to adopt for yourself. Yeah. And under no circumstances, in my imagination, can that ever be a good thing? Well, no, we have to be able to learn from one another. We have to be able to have our natural emergent creative processes about what's happening in relationship. But I, I mean, I this is sort of a funny thing that I have with words too. Um, I mean, am I in relationship with somebody who's controlling me, who's trying to control me? Is that relationship? It's maybe a kind of relationship, but it's not relationship. It's not, it's not relationality that is true, that has integrity. It doesn't include me. Right. If I'm being controlled by it, and so it strips away the very basis of of life energy is relational. Absolutely. We're talking about cults again. Academics is a massive cult and it has many subcults in the different disciplines and it's related to other subcults and the different professions. It just goes on and on and on. And no, you are really not included in a cult you're never included in a cult you are co-opted by a cult you're turned into a bot Old by a cult you're turned into a bot you are you are um restricted um and and loosed your energy is extracted from you your power and this is back to what do i do you know when in in, in the world and um how do I take back my power? So in, in the world, Colton, you, as you know, I I have strategies for things not to do and strategies of things to do in relation to generating or accumulating more personal power. And there's a lot of things that you don't do. You pull out of as many cults as you can, especially early on when you're trying to gather your personal power. When you do that, there's a natural accumulation of power. I I recently did a video in a, in a blog. I don't know if you saw this, and it was try a truther detox. What do you have to lose except mental parasites? I didn't see it. Yeah, so this is the first uh, article I produced on, on the same subject matter as the world cult and you since publishing the book, the first new article, as opposed to just working on chapters from the book and the audio book and that sort of thing. So this, of course, was a very <laughs> controversial little video, even though it didn't get a lot of views. It stirred the proverbial shit pot for sure. And uh, basically what I'm saying is that, you know, the first thing you might try is just a seven day detox where you don't interact with any truth sources, quote unquote, truth sources, whether that's the news or YouTube truthers or whatever. You just simply don't do any of that. And instead, do a seven day free trial of my Substack and read my book and use my potentiation resources to work on yourself. Now, here's how absolutely how many gatekeepers there are in the cult community. So one of the comments was, so let me get this straight. You're telling people not to be in a cult, but that you want them to go over and pay your for your Substack access. And I'm saying seven day free trial. Okay, it's really clear in my language. They can't even understand the words that I'm saying. They're so incredibly enslaved to uh, their masters who don't like what I'm saying. That's that's what's going on there. 
Well, they don't seem to be having the same conversation you're having for sure. <laughs> right. You know, assuming that we can even be reading the same words. Yes. I mean, maybe they're imagining a different version of myself where I'm saying, come over and pay for my Substack. Well, maybe they've got <laughs> but, but a lot of version of myself that I'm that I'm able to identify very clearly said why you're doing your seven day truth or detox and just not not engaging any of that material here's a place where you can work on yourself for free right even even the regenetics you can do potentiation with worldwide potentiation for free you know there's there's no requirement that anyone give me a dime and yet you're saying Blah, 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 blah. That's just absolutely crazy. I'm like, okay, delete that comment, ban that person. I just don't put up with it anymore. I just absolutely delete comments. I ban people from my channel. I'm just not, and that's part of my walking away. I just don't have that conversation when people are obviously trolling me. I used to think, oh, I had to you know, leave all the comments, let people say what they wanted to say. And I'm like, no, because that is a massive dis disservice to other people on the channel who want to hear what I have to say and who want to be helped by it. So I am not going to leave the trolls active on my channel ever. And I've got a whole video about this because uh, called how to, it's like Internet house cleaning, how to deal with online pests. You can. I like that video. Yeah, so you can check that out on on my YouTube channel, which is Crow Rising. The 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 ability to center what deepens true relationships in a community environment. The the ability to so so when I when I go through your materials, your your books, your articles, your videos, um, your interviews. Um, what gets centered for me is that I have the option myself personally to become in the way that is most right for me to become and that I don't have to allow that to be steered by others in a way that would not be right for me. And I, I don't, we don't get that most places. We don't have that kind of um, support coming from most places. And uh, unfortunately, like we have this massive misuse of, um, I, I don't know how to say it exactly, capitalist tool sets. Like we have a lot of misuse of marketing tool sets. We have a lot of misuse of, of um, economic platforms. And at the same time, we've all got to come up with ways to feed ourselves and our families uh, unless we've figured out how to not have to interact with Federal Reserve notes or, or mainstream monetary currency at all. Um, and so the, the ways that we build relationship around what is the work we're doing and who are the people that we're helping, that we're in collaboration with, and how can we establish um social environments together that are free of co-optation and that aren't driven by the by the desire to extract from one another um and and not uh destroyed by divisiveness because you people can keep you on defense continuously just by showing up and being divisive but they're not deepening the conversation they're they're not honestly saying I don't quite understand this particular thing. And I'm wondering if you could point me to where I could learn more about it. Um, sure. 
the so the 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 whole trolling thing is pretty it's it's a pretty interesting subject for me yeah it's it, it can be uh sometimes it can be it's it's not even intentional trolling it's just people not taking personal responsibility like someone chiming in on some of this recent material where I'm really looking at the simulation angle, right? You know, and and I've been doing this for a very long time and looking at the holographic model and the way our minds and our language creates our reality. This goes back, you know, over two decades now. And someone chimes in on my Substack and says, you know, well, you know, recently I had a situation where I, you know, got sick and then my 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 smell and sense of taste went away. And, you know, how does that happen in a simulated environment or whatever? I'm like, OK, good question. Go back and read every article and book that I've written on this subject over the last couple of decades. And if you still have that question, get back with me. Sure. And there, there's a barrier to entry there, but you're also focusing on doing the work that you can be most strengthened by and strengthen others by doing. And if you don't do that work, who is going to do that work? This is why you put your words out into the world so that people can know better what what your platform is and what you're working on. Um, and that that's a difficult conversation for me, too, because people are being really crushed by disablement. They're being crushed by neurological injury. And yet we have to have a way to engage really peacefully and productively with one another. So, I mean, that that's part of what, what, what I'm doing a lot of the time is helping people make discernments about, well, is this a situation where somebody's experiencing disability that they can't communicate? They've been discouraged from communicating that way. And so, and so people think that they're just being difficult. Um, or is it a situation where somebody's really being neglectful of how they can be responsible in that situation um, yes. and, and use the functions they have yes. Um, yes. rather than shrugging it off and making it somebody else's problem um, that like it's it's tricky, but we've got to navigate that in the best ways we can. Uh, any one of us has to do it differently according to our circumstances. Yeah, I mean, I just look for verbal cues and the way someone addresses a question or a comment to the to discern where the person is coming from. I mean, is this just a genuine bewilderment or is it somebody asking the question in such a way that they they already think they know the answer, but they're just wanting me to defend my position? And if they're just wanting me to defend my position, I'm out of there. I'm not I'm not going to engage in that because I've defended my position, quote unquote, in page after page after page after page without actually defending it. I've just put it out there, but it's yeah. there. It's there. It's there for all over the place. And I have tons of free resources and videos and everything in the world where you can tap into this material. And I'm not short on uh, bibliographic references and links and other other uh, research that supports my point so that you don't have to take my word for it. You can you can go into many other areas of exploration to look at uh, related concepts because once you get into this way of looking at things if you're talking about simulation theory you know it doesn't just stop at the digital simulation you get into the dreamscape concept and shamanism you get into uh, holographic notions you get into quantum bioholography and what's actually happening down at the cellular and genetic level to induce holographic structures you know there's all kinds of ways of looking at that that are mutually 
supportive in 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 uh, building up a certain way of understanding how the world works. And I get that it's complicated, and I'm I'm happy to have that conversation with people in good faith. But a lot of times people don't comment in good faith, and when I pick up on that, I'm just, um, you know, I'm not I'm not going to. I don't have time or resources. This is part of that. This is part of that meter because if you enter that discussion in knowing that someone's kind of having an adversarial relationship with you, that's a cult of two and you're being looshed. Yeah, people have been taught to use bullying techniques, whether or not they even know that it's what they're doing. And it's something that it's important to unlearn. Absolutely. It's important to be able to have respectful dialogue about these <laughs> subjects, because if we don't look, I mean, a shorthand that I have said many times is if we don't, a lot of people die. <laughs> yeah. um, we can have we can have um, collaborators. We can strengthen one another. We don't we don't have to let huge swaths of of our collective body die. We can we can be kind and respectful to one another. We can recognize where one another is doing unique work that we can learn from if we recognize the communications that are happening, but we have to learn someone's language. I have learned more of your language by being exposed to your books and to your Substack um, and to the things that you post on social media, but that's a process. And I, I would say anybody struggling with that process and feeling like they can't reach your platform or can't reach another platform, we're, we're working on that in the intuitive network every day. Um, so like, if people are looking for dialogue to figure out how they can get into more contact with the respectful dialogues that they like to be in, but like they don't have the skill sets yet, like we're helping one another with that all the time. So there are access points and we are making them if we haven't found them somewhere else. Oh, I love that. I love, I love all the work that you're doing. I've, and I have been learning your language too over time. And um, I, I've learned a lot from you, just a, a lot really um, about, um, you know, for example, the intersection between cults and trafficking. And uh, it's just been really educational. And I, I honor you for uh, being a teacher for me. Uh, I, Max, I wanted to say one thing about this idea of, you know, bullies and, and uh, interactions. Uh Basically, what I'm practicing is what I'm preaching in the book is that you can rather than engage that conflict and just go nowhere with it, you can just walk away. You don't have to you don't have to engage it. You don't owe that person anything. You don't owe them explanations or answers or defenses. You don't yeah. have to defend yourself. You don't have to keep them on your platform. They don't have a right to be there. It's your <laughs> your platform. One of the things that I wrote down earlier um, was I was paging through and I was like, what were the things that I wanted to talk about? And you had a quote in there from Charles Hugh Smith, um, practicing nonviolence, neither comply or resist. Um, you can just drop it. You can do something nutritive. You can build something beautiful instead. Use that, use that time and energy that you're saving to go write a poem, take a photograph or go for a walk in nature and think about your ne next project. But when we when we feel like, you know, we've gotten this comment or something on our content that's bothering us and we know we're going to have to, you know, have this long drawn out back and forth with somebody, you know, that's you're already being loosed. 
your your energy is being extracted already and you haven't even engaged it you've you've only engaged it in a theoretical way but your energy is starting to be drawn out of you and when you have that feeling I have found that the best thing to do is simply walk away from the entire thing. And if that means deleting the person off of your platform so that they won't bother you anymore and keep loosing you down the road, so be it. You know, it is what it is. For me, it's it, it has been a um, an energy protective mechanism that I've learned um, that has helped me be willing to put myself out there in the way that I do online. Otherwise, if I were just being fed upon by every tick in the woods, I'm sorry, I just, I don't know that anyone would know anything about me, um, but I've learned how to protect myself and uh, I do it in this way. One of the reasons it's so important that that people can learn more about how to build public platforms is because that's a way, so you building your pl- your your public platform is a way of communicating in relationship with others so that there can be the building of resonant relationship before you necessarily even talk to one another directly, if you ever do. And so if someone shows up and is divisive on your platform without seeming to have made themselves familiar enough with your platform or um, respectfully inquiring about how they can access it better, or, or here are here are the things that have been difficult to find, or you know, can anyone recommend where I can find this thing? That's one thing. But if somebody just shows up and is divisive, they've rejected what you've already offered in relationship as your public platform, and that's that's part of your body. Exactly, and I see it that way. It's part of my energy body, the the extension of my my thought form. And they're not willing to engage the thought form if they're coming at it from that that perspective. I'm not saying I can always tell with 100% certainty where someone is coming from. And I tend to err on the side of caution and politeness, you know, but I've also learned to read verbal cues pretty well as a writer and, and someone who's been kind of navigating this territory for a very long time. And I often know where someone is coming from. And I just have a very strong intuitive sense as well. And I'm not saying it's always right, but it's very often correct. That's part of power. When you have more power, you have more intuition. Oh, sure. And I, you know, even if you're not correct all the time, you're aligning your sense of that with what allows you to be best in service in the world with the powers you have. And that's what we should all want from one another, want for one another. I want you to be able to do your best work and I want to know how I can support that. And it, that's being in relationship. Mm, I, you know, this this whole conversation has taken, taken an interesting turn. You know, I didn't think we would be talking about this kind of thing, but I do think it's an important topic because it doesn't just apply to what happens with you in... Uh, you know, in your theoretical online platform, it might be at your job or relationships uh, in the world, or even just chance, uh, seemingly random encounters in the grocery store. I mean, it can be anything where you can apply the intuitive ability to discern what's going on, and then you can choose to walk away. And this is really a form of conflict avoidance um, and nonviolence and nonviolent resistance, even just by saying, I'm not engaging that and you're not a part of my reality. Boom, you're gone if necessary. So people need to understand that um, 
it is exactly, as you said, a strategy for determining how to best use my resources, my time, my power, my energy. And sometimes it's making a difficult decision. Like I could, I could spend a lot of time and energy on this uh, distraction, or I can use that in my own and my own uh, desire to to uh, further my my message, to put it out there more and in different ways, to actually write something new or you know have other activities that will contribute to what I'm attempting to do in the world. So I you know I think people have been there's been all of these mixed messages having to do with censorship and that kind of thing and public platforms or town square or all of this thing. And it's all such a, it's just a circus of ideas that are all incredibly contradictory and people are being censored for this reason on this platform, but not on that platform. And it's because of, you know, it's in order to do this or, or whatever, it's all so crazy and it absolutely makes no sense. So I, what I've tried to do is boil down my relationship uh, to to the concept of uh, censorship and having to do uh, make hard decisions, I've boiled it down to whether I am necessarily protecting my energy and time or not. If it's not necessary, then there's no reason to do it. If there's not a, an actual rationale for putting up a kind of firewall, then I'm not going to put up a firewall, even if it's a comment I don't like or whatever, you know, if it if it's not going to loosh me and draw me into a relationship, sometimes I'll just let those things stand. It's just when I when it's potentially compromising to my platform, when it's going to loosh me, take away my energy. And when some an, when another reader happens upon that comment and all of a sudden they're doubting everything I'm saying, even though what I'm saying could help them. <laughs> that is when that comment is toxic, not just to me, but to my readership or, or, or viewership. It's very harmful. This is not well, it, this is not like, oh, free speech above all else. This is no, this is no, this is not how things should work. It should be, you know, energy, integrity and sovereignty above all else. And then, you know, and then let's talk together as best we can and as freely as we can with that as a guiding principle. When you've identified that you can build something that is so powerfully supportive of, of yourself and those you care about and others in the world, you're, you're doing yourself and all others a disservice by not doing that work in the best way for you to do it. Um, anybody having a garden and just let it get overrun by weeds or pests, right? You know, what's the point? You're just playing your garden. You would never be able to do it. You would spend all of your time defending yourself from the people who aren't your audience really in the first place. And I'm very, I'm very tuned into this right now because I'm, I'm like the bad boy of, of, you know, of the day, you know, of the hour, uh, you know, this is my 15 minutes of fame and it's, it's, uh, it's been kind of, uh, you know, negative in a lot of ways. It's like, suddenly I'm speaking some uncomfortable thoughts to a lot of people whose livelihoods depend on people not thinking those thoughts. And so I'm like the bad guy. 
I don't know whether to say I'm sorry or not. It seems like a really intriguing experience. Um, I've spent a lot of time being the bad guy in in different circumstances that I really didn't like, but I do recognize it as valuable. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not I'm not even sure where I stand on it. Um, I've been embracing it more and more. In fact, I started watching the um, the uh, the Disney series. It's a it's a two season series of Loki, the character Loki. They made a TV series out of the movie character. Okay. And it's pretty fascinating. But I wanted to, because he's the god of mischief, right? He's, <laughs> you know, he's the person kind of, you know, playing with people's minds in a way that very often results in unforeseen developments that end up kind of being positive, even if he doesn't intend for them to be. <laughs> It's like, okay, I'm going to like touch base with my inner Loki. You know, I'm, I'm going to be publishing uh, um, this book uh, this coming year called Beginner's Luke. And of course, in one section of the book, he, you know, he, 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 uh, he modifies Luke to Loki, you know, and so there's, there's a long, long-term identification with that kind of mischievous part of me that just is there to stir the pot to to get people to think to make them uncomfortable in some ways this is kind of a just a a part of me that i've submerged over the years because i wanted to fit in and i wanted to be liked and in so doing i i really left parts of me undeveloped that were very important earlier on and now i feel like i'm i'm holding i'm integrating some of those earlier pieces of myself. And that actually feels good, even though some of the experience has been unpleasant. Yeah, we, sometimes we we end up finding ourselves to be messengers of, of understandings we did not expect to be messengers of. Um, and even if it's if it's unpleasant experiences that other people have when they come into contact with that, like if we're showing up as ourselves in in every way that that we feel is most honorable uh, according to the way our universe works um it's i think that's the best we can do we can't actually develop solutions from any other place than that we can be controlled from other places than that but if we're going to develop solutions with one another, we have to do it on the basis of being our own real selves, having our own real experiences and not not obscuring that or trying to remold it so that it's something somebody else would want instead. We, we have to have our own real experience. Yes, yes, absolutely. I'm, and I'm just having my own real experience. So, um, you know, I... At the same time, it's been it's funny because for 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 the longest time I've I've not really done a lot with regenetics because I've been working on all these other projects and and really I've been being looshed by some other communities and some other interests and that sort of thing. And recently I just put out the first two videos on my new regenetics YouTube channel, which is at regenetics. Yeah. And I'm I'm doing videos now based on some of the content in the books and on the website it's it's phoenixregenetics.org and i'm bringing out a series of videos for this channel where I'm, I'm wanting to let people experience these ideas in a different way in a kind of documentary style uh video where i you know i talked about uh non-localized medicine or non-localized mind and era three medicine in a video i just put out today and this is a uh, this is 
part of my service, going back to one of the things I started with. So I'm using the energy to flow back into my work and I'm really making it about me. I'm really, I'm really regathering myself. I, I gave, you know, I spent a couple of years doing interviews with other people and helping other platforms and everything. And finally, I got to a point this, you know, over the course of the summer when I was, you know, basically outcast by this one community, I, I decided that screw that. It's all about me. I'm going to make all of this about me because I have to, it's, I have a message and I have information that I want to put out. So I really poured myself into writing the world called in you. I, um, I, you know, have recently started making these videos to really allow people to connect in a different way with work that might be able to heal them, you know, help them transform their lives. These are my gifts. This is what I have to offer my, you know, I might be a decent interviewer, but it's not my calling, I, you know, and I'm certainly not a follower or supporter. I'm, a trailblazer. I'm a thinker, you know, and I just can't spend any more time working on behalf of other people in cult situations <laughs> who don't accept me. They don't make space for me. They are, they're using me. And I, I had this experience myself. I want other people to know I'm just not writing about these things in a void. I allowed myself to be sucked back into the very uh, a situation very similar to the types of situations that I describe in the world cult and you. And I got out of it by walking away, back to walking away. So back to the nonviolent walk away strategy. It's very, very important. It's, you know, one of the best tools we have, but we're taught to stand and fight. We're taught to stand up for something. If you don't stand for something, you don't stand for anything. Or was it the opposite? I can't remember exactly how that phrase goes or that that old piece of quote unquote wisdom. But um all of that is designed to control us. All of the all of the conventional, so much of the conventional quote unquote wisdom that we are handed linguistically in these sayings and thoughts is basically upside down. You can stand for something without um without allowing you can stand for something without being in conflict you don't have to be in conflict in order to stand for something right um the, you can stand for something by walking away in, in a sense yeah yeah i it, mean it, it, oh i have such thoughts about all of this oh but so i i know I, I got on a little bit of a soapbox but please i'm i'm eager to hear what you have to say well uh I have a I have a bunch of almost verbalizables. Um, so one of the things that that we're we're going to talk more about eventually, um, uh, we may just keep touching on um, over time, is about how I found that um, your regenetics offerings were actually so powerful and so inclusive. Um, in ways that I didn't expect. And then as I interacted with others about it, we realized that there's there's so much there that, that one doesn't find on other platforms. We've been talking about like, how is that possible? Because we, we've been cut off from healing resources and community resources because of ongoing physical violence of one form or another. And it's been very extreme and it's prevented 
it's prevented us from being able to figure out how to recover from very terrible injuries, um, very difficult conditions. Um, and one of the things about this whole conversation for me, like we're talking about people being trolls or people being divisive or um, people playing into conflict scenarios when there doesn't there doesn't need to be conflict. Um, um, we have ways of of transmuting what would be conflict into respectful dialogue, into sharing with one another in relationship. And one of the things that I keep wanting to find a way to verbalize, maybe I will do it right now. When you offer your worldwide potentiation ceremony, and previously, previously, I think you you received people's names and then you changed it to be like all encompassing without the people's names. Do Am I saying that right as to how you did it? Well, we just made it so that if people wanted to use a pseudonym, that's fine. You know, Do people so, still put their names in and then their names are spoken or is that part different now? Uh, that's well spoken just during during the private ceremony. I mean, no one is hearing those names except us. And right. um, and if people want to use a pseudonym so that they're not using their real name or their birth date, that's fine. It's still them. Um, so I wasn't sure exactly how that worked since you had changed it. But the basic thing, the, the thing I'm attempting to communicate is basically the same. You're doing a monthly potentiation ceremony, a, a healing effort for um, I, I, the word effort maybe feels wrong somehow. You're, it's, a, it's a healing activation um, that can reach anywhere. Any, anywhere that someone feels they want to be part of a collective structure that believes that this works, which makes it work. Yeah, right. When you believe that it works, it works in different ways. It's not always predictable. No. Um, maybe maybe frequently it's not predictable. Um, but it's an underlying collect. It's a, it's a structure of a collective living body of people in many, many different locations who recognize the validity of the structures you're describing in terms of repairing the physical form, in, in terms of resonating wholeness and well-being. And that inherently is relationally inclusive in a way that, I mean, we don't find that on other platforms, not stated so clearly as you describe it, not backed up with with various kinds of references and research and people with other opinions who vibrate on on related frequencies um you're offering a way of being vibrationally in relationship with what you're doing um that people can either recognize and accept or not and so somebody coming to be divisive on your platform has has already that maybe they know it or maybe they don't, but 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 often, you know, if somebody's gonna come and pick arguments with you, um, it's a rejection of that inclusive collective body vibration that is so helpful to so many people. I mean, looking at your lists of testimonials is really rad. Yeah, it's been wild. I mean, when that started happening years ago, you know, it's just a couple of decades in the making now, and people started having these just remarkable results. We were amazed, you know. I mean, my own experience of healing from being so incredibly sick uh, was was 
extraordinary, but then to see it repeated over and over again. So sometimes in unexpected ways, there are, sometimes people will come to this work and they want X healed and maybe X doesn't get healed, but maybe Y gets healed. You know, it's a strange thing. And I, I have different theories in terms of to explain how this might work, but a lot of it is, it is mysterious and I don't, I don't understand it fully. You know, I do think ultimately we're living in a very mysterious world and we can't explain everything, even if we have some ideas. And the only other thing I wanted to say uh, really briefly about this, this body that you describe is we set it up this way so that it really wouldn't be a cult. I, I didn't put my face out there ever. I, I'm not a guru. I'm not a cult leader. I'm not trying to tell people what to do. Uh, I'm not trying to control people. We're offering a free service. You can just participate and and go your merry way. That's absolutely fine. And no one really gets to interact with anybody else except maybe like on the forum, or the Regenetics Method forum, if they choose to be there. And even there, even there, they can use pseudonyms and not give away their name or their picture or anything like that. So there's no... There's no real easy way to turn something like this into a cult. And that's very, very important. There's no need to court conflict. There, there's no need to end up in conflict um, because one is part of a vibrational collective body in, in very clear and I think clearly stated ways that if people are interacting with your platform and they've come across those resources, they can agree or disagree that such a thing is possible. And if they agree with enough of it, they can actually participate in that collective vibration, which is something like we've, we've been trying to tell people that it can work this way in the intuitive network, but we never had your list of references. You have this really well-organized list of references. Um, in your written materials that is so awesome to refer to, um, like regard, you know, regardless of, of how we feel about, about specific kinds of research or academic environments or, or all of that. It's like, here are all of these people having experiences that resonate with why a structure like this would be successful and why if we feel like well, we would have to be in conflict in order to have community at all. That's not necessarily true. Um, we would we would have to show up and be divisive in order to have community at all. That's not necessarily true. There are these relational vibratory structures that are interconnected with all of us so that we can wish one another well and it can manifest in our bodies. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, it's almost um, a sort of, um, I don't know, like a... I'm I'm looking for language here. It's like um, foreshadowing of a different kind of community structure that's not a cult. You know, uh, Ken Carey's work gets into this a lot about you know kind of the collective energy uh, community and and that sort of thing. And you know, one might say, well, that sounds a little culty or new agey, and maybe that's true. But if people, this is my theory. I, I'm not saying I think this is going to happen anytime soon, but I think it could happen. And here's the scenario, enough people doing this type of work and building up their power and unplugging from the things that are taking away their power, such as truther 
content, which is are very toxic. When that happens and enough people raise their power, they're raising their consciousness. When they come together at those levels, it becomes increasingly difficult for them to derail each other, to loose each other, to take each other out of their centeredness in terms of their sovereignty and their individuation. Then you have a chance of having com community structures in real time that might work and not become a cult. Yes. Yes. And I, I think the more someone practices that, the more, I mean, what I have noticed and what I know a lot of others have noticed is that when we re-expose ourselves to those toxic ways of being, it makes us sick. It hurts us to, to try to deal with that stuff as we improve our resonance. We just, we, we notice on subtler and subtler levels oh, let's not engage with these kinds of toxic patterns at all. Let's create something that's really stabilizing and nutritive instead. And we we really lose our tolerance for, for, for those kinds of co-optive environments, which I think is great. I think it's great to lose our tolerance for that. I, I, I do rescue aid in environments like that, but some people can do rescue aid and some people don't do rescue aid, which is fine. And it can um, be a physical environment, it can also be like your online platform, as we were discussing. So my tolerance is, or my intolerance in a way, you know, put that in quotes perhaps, is simply a function of my my developing personal power and not being willing to put up with bullshit. Yeah, and if there's any question about what bullshit is... What we want to have, or we want to have um, layers of of caring, actual community structures where, or, or caring relationships, where people can notice where where one another is having trouble with something. It should never be on one person to have to field all of that stuff. It should always be something that we we as individuals are strengthening ourselves enough so that we can notice where there are really useful collaborations mm -hmm. to to improve the state of the environment to to make sure that we're not we're not wasting and destroying huge parts of our environments huge parts of our bodies but that's not something that one person leading a platform should have to um fight with or clean up all the time that's the kind of thing that we're all taking responsibility for by being our own true selves in in a in in an environment that we want to be as natural an environment as possible we don't want to be influenced by something co-optive that wants to extract from us we want to show up as our real selves and be able to recognize one another to be in relationship as our real selves and in that kind of context people having trouble who might cause bullshit on you know not even realizing it would have somewhere to to find some some language that they understand better. They don't have to seed conflict. They don't have to use bullying tactics. But a lot of people don't know that yet. And of course, there are people out there doing that on purpose to use control techniques um, on platforms like yours because of some of the very empowering things that you're saying to people who are taking your advice and succeeding with it. Absolutely. I love your integrative approach, you know, because you're always looking at how well, this would work in community with people who are struggling or whatever to get to that level. You know, how do we bring them in 
uh, and not, you know, continue their uh, separation from some sense of community and, uh, you know, how do we empower them and give them tools to, you know, to go to the next level in their development and healing. I mean, all these are, you know, absolutely um, critical things to consider. And I certainly think about them a lot, you know, and I try to balance my personal needs with, you know, those types of considerations. I also wanted to say that I've received tremendous support, fantastic comments, messages, uh, that sort of thing, reviews. I've been, I'm really, really thankful for all of that. And then there's been a lot of people who have just shared their own insights and have furthered the discussion. I'm not exactly calling that support. I'm just calling that interaction and participation. And I'm really grateful for that too. There are some people who comment on my articles and books and, and videos with just tremendous insight. And they're not necessarily supporting me, but they're not <laughs> trying to tear me down either. And they're just contributing to this body of gnosis that we're building. It's wonderful for for any person to be able to recognize that just showing up in relationship in that way, just noticing what someone has offered, noticing the the nutrients that are being offered generously, and saying this is my process with that, can really be. I, I mean, it it may not be you know it's not specific forms of support, but raising more conversation around those touch points is a really supportive thing for anybody to do, to just come and have those discussions around someone's platform. You have great conversations that you start on Substack, um, not, not just in the articles, but like in notes and in the, in the chats. Um, and that's a really neat way for people to be able to show up with a, with a positive vibration with, with life, life affirming energy for the work that you're doing. And I think that's really important too. Yeah, sometimes you just want the interaction, you know, even if you're very wary of cult environments and trolls and these types of things, the interaction can be really supportive and it can make a creator feel that that uh, his or her creativity is being valued on, on some level and it can spur you on to go forward with your, your creativity and with your offering. Sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes I feel because I'm dealing in areas that are so fringe and that are so threatening to some people. So if you look at regenetics, fringe, cult stuff, threatening, I sometimes feel very isolated. And so it's it's helpful to me to have people just join me in a in a in a genuine open-minded conversation. You don't have to agree with everything that I'm saying, but it's just helpful for me to know that people are out there listening and reading and they give a shit. Sometimes it just feels that, you know, they don't. And, and maybe that's my own stuff that I'm dealing with. But um, I see these other platforms that are engaging in literal doomsday creation using their mental energy. And they just have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of followers and comments and people supporting them and everything in the world. And it just blows my mind. By comparison, I'm nobody nobody cares. And it is amazing that that's the world that we live in. Sort of tells you what we're up against in a sense, because this, this is a tall order to penetrate through this cult programming. But, um, you know, every single person who steps up and participates in a different discussion 
a different type of energy exchange without the bullying, without the looshing, is helping create a new world. That's the power of language that we were talking about early on in this recording, too. We're making language together as we're doing that. Yep. Yep. And it's almost oh. like creating a baby together or something. You literally, literally are sharing parts of yourself in a way. And then something else is being born from that. And that yeah, certainly language and dialogue, but spinning off of that, I'm contending, <laughs> a la Bakhtin and other people, is like a world that gets created. All of the elements of our experiencing and and um, as we go forward and, as, you know, many people will have will have human children and non-human beings will have non-human children. But but the, all of those um, successive generations, they experience the results of that co-creative energy just from from simple conversations from from allowing new languaging to unfold from sharing our experiences with one another that's a really powerful thing it really is it really is i mean every time we you and i chat you know i feel parts of i don't I, you know i'll say brain but it's more like my consciousness my holographic brain my morphic field whatever i just feel it these parts opening up and they become more accessible to me. Maybe I've known they were there, but I feel that there is a kind of consciousness expansion that happens because I'm actually being empowered by the conversation. The beauty of all this power stuff is that you can empower each other simultaneously, just as you can lose each other simultaneously. I feel that way too. That I call that verbal neurolo ver verbal relational neurological repair. <laughs> I like that. I like that. It's a mouthful, but I like it. I mean, you and I both like these like complex descriptions of things. We love to like lay lay down the, you know, the language over over certain topics. Yes, favorite. That's good. That's really good. You know, well, this has been this has been fun. I think we've probably given people, including ourselves, a, a lot of food for thought. I um. I think that expanding on these topics in whatever way people feel moved to, whether that's commenting on the, on the posts we make with the video, whether that's people making their own videos and referring back to this and saying, or I'm continuing this conversation or whether we're commenting on, on people's posts or, or, or um, making notes in Substack or, or on another social media platform or something like that. Like the, the way that we practice being relational about conversations like these is really building the physical world. And that feels really activating for me. I'm really excited about how that's already manifesting in so many ways. I, I think we should keep doing it. Oh, I do too. And with that in mind, where, where can people have conversations with you? Please come visit me. And the Intuitive Network by navigating to www.intuitivepublicradio.network, which is on Substack. And Saul, please remind people how they can find you also. Well, I'm going to give you three coordinates. The first is saulluckman.substack.com. And that's that's a place where you can access a lot of a lot of free content. And you can also do a seven-day free trial to access 
the premium and exclusive content. And you can read The World Cult and You probably in a few hours, uh, certainly a couple of days. So you can definitely finish the book within the the uh, seven day free trial. Then I have two YouTube channels. My my uh, primary YouTube channel is Crow Rising, Crow Like the Bird, Crow Rising, at Crow Rising. And my new channel for Regenetics is at Regenetics. So please subscribe. Please say hello. Um, give me a like and um, and uh, start the dialogue. Start the, the dialogic imagination. Very important. Super groovy. Well, thank you, Max. I really appreciate your time, your energy, your presence, your your language, your beautiful, beautiful thoughts and, and articulation. Thank you very much. Likewise, it is a pleasure hanging out with you. And let's do it again. Let's do it again. All righty. Thank mm -hmm. you.